to the CG Pro Podcast. And thank you, everybody, for joining us. We're here in another episode. Uh, this week, we have Brian Pohl from Epic Games. Um, we are CG Pro, and we are a, a school. We have an active community in our Facebook group, if anybody would like to join it, if you enjoy what you see tonight. Um, also, check us out at becomecgpro.com. So, um, it's my great pleasure tonight. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Um, welcome, Brian. Hey, Ed. How's Brian. it going? It's going great. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. I really appreciate you letting me uh, come on your, your podcast. This is going to be fun. Awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Now, so uh, for anyone who doesn't know Brian, the one or two people who might not know Brian, he is a prolific visual effects artist. He's been in the business for a, for a long time. Um, 17 or so years uh, coming up through um, previs and working with George Lucas's previous team and helping to shape that and um, then uh, and I think it's been responsible for something like 28 feature films and, and TV broadcasts um, on the way to joining Epic Games in 2017 um, and it's probably a lot of people here will know Brian uh, for his work in the fellowship being the technical um, program manager and administrative dean for the Epic Fellowship. Um, so yeah, Brian, welcome. It's great to have you here. Really, I appreciate really that very much. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Excellent. Well, I'd also like to start this off just by kind of asking you about what uh, got this started for you and um, what kind of inspired you in the beginning to get get into this industry, this wonderful industry? Well, it's certainly not easy. Um, I can attest to that, but I've always had a fascination for film and animation, and I always wanted to work within this field for pretty much as long back as I can remember. So, um, you know, there was a, a certain drive that was always there. And when I went to school, I took a small detour to go into the military for a couple of years first, kind of help get me through school. But after completing that, I kind of went, you know, left active duty and went right back into the, the stream of things and started working for various companies doing, you know, broadcast design work, which was what I, you know, got a degree in. Basically, it was a commercial art major with a telecom minor. And back in 1989, you know, there, this was using some pretty primitive technology compared to what we have today. But it was enough to, you know, really fascinate me about the whole subject. And um, I started working for various TV stations, you know, doing the old flying logo thing, something that I think most people from my generation got their their start on. I was using, you know, packages like um, Electric Image and, you know, Strata 3D on the Macintosh and, and also um, Crystal Topaz and uh, a number of programs that, like, most people listening are probably like, what? are those so <laughs> but they were very early on packages and i eventually um after you know kind of having my own business for a while um you know doing broadcast graphics and design i kind of felt like i needed to have a boost in my skill set so i came out to los angeles uh to go to school at at noman school of visual effect and uh great school um and I got into their certificate program and made it uh, into the third semester. And I um, 
over the summer wound up basically you know giving my demo reel to a, a company uh in la called reality check studios and um it was interesting uh because it turned out un, unknown to me unbeknownst to me that that we had bid on uh, a project against one another when i was back in the midwest there was a company in the midwest that you know was doing kind of like telecom services and broadcast sports graphics and such and we both bid on the package they ultimately got the job but they also in the process of doing so got to see the other people bidding on the package and they saw my work back then so when i wound up um submitting my demo reel while i was a student at noman they're like hey we know you <laughs> and i was like really um so i went in and had the interview and wound up getting you know a contract position um to just you know do more flying logos but for reality check and it was at that point that um i you know met several you know movers and shakers in the industry and and um uh i met some of the uh supervisors that were working um up at uh, lucasfilm at the ranch uh david desorts being one of them and asked him you know the age-old question how do i get a job uh yeah. working for lucasfilm which was not uh you know an easy task but i had done some previous for for david on behind enemy lines which was a you know film we did that previous with ei electric image and uh uh he said well come on up you know we'll we'll give you a shot you can come and and you know, work uh and we'll test you out for a couple of weeks um and if you you know make the grade we'll we'll see about keeping you on board so i went up to san francisco and and you know stayed in a hotel room for a couple of weeks you know working for uh a, like at a, as a test trial run for lucasfilm and you know i got the gig and i worked on you know previous for attack of the clones and and uh um you know it kind of was the starting point of everything for me because um the whole idea of doing previs was really exciting for me it was filmmaking during the happy stage of you know the, the <laughs> process you know up front in pre-production when there's you know lots of money to be spent and everybody's excited and <laughs> ideas are flowing so yeah. um you know had a really great time doing that and you know worked at, at lucasfilm for probably about 10 months and then you know we finished up on um episode two and it was like time to leave and they said well you know do you want to go somewhere in the family you know um and i was like well where and they're like well you could apply at ilm uh you could consider you know applying at pixar etc and you know i tried my hand at pixar didn't make it in a pixar bummer but right. i applied at ilm and got a position there working in their previous team you know with their art department and i worked on a bunch of films there um stayed at the ranch for about two and a half years or excuse me up at lucasfilm Ugh. ilm for two and a half years to three years and that was right when ilm was uh, about ready to uh, you know all merge into a single company and move into the presidio so they were at this stage of like restructuring their company and i just kind of felt all right maybe it's time to move again and i came back you know to la and went to work for digital domain and then uh for 
Sony Imageworks, and and then ultimately I wound up um, going back to work with David Desoritz again, and, and we formed our own Previs company. We did Previs, uh, Persistence of Vision, POV Previs. We did that for like seven years, and then um, I started uh, the the whole process of kind of like working with um, software companies. I started working with Autodesk for a while. Did it about three years with Autodesk in their team and then went back into the industry again. And then now here I am, I'm at Epic and I was doing uh, technical account management first. And then, you know, I wanted to, you know, I was also simultaneously helping out the training and educational teams. And I was like, you know, I just think I want to concentrate my efforts there. And I, you know, transferred over into the educational department and, you know, we started the whole um, uh, fellowship, uh, Linda Selheim and myself, we kind of drummed up and conceptualized the idea of the fellowship and it's been fellowship ever since. Um, and we did the six cohorts and now we're making more and we're pushing all that forward. Big everything there in a nutshell, happy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically job done. <laughs> awesome, thanks. <laughs> Yeah, that was really interesting. There was definitely some things in there that I didn't know about you. And um, when you were working with through the, the Autodesk phase, were you in the development team? Um, I was actually, uh, I was actually part of um, working on various cloud services. Um, hmm. And we were actually, I can't give too much details because even though it wasn't ever built, it's still under NDA. But it was a series yeah. of scripts and tools for cloud tools and integration of the cloud for Maya. Um, and, you know, that's about all I can really say, but um, it was a, it was really interesting to, you know, work for Autodesk and it was actually the relationships that I built at Autodesk, uh, getting to know Mark Petit and, and, um, and the like, it was actually Mark that contacted me about coming to work for Epic and, I was like, yeah, I would be very interested. And so it was thanks to him, really, that I got this gig. Got it. So what's it like being at Epic? I guess probably a lot of people are curious about that. Seems sure. like a really cool company to work for. So I'm curious too. It's a it's a it's a it's a great company. Um it's uh growing by leaps and bounds, constantly, you know, increasing its size. And obviously with with Fortnite under its belt, everything changed you know, post Fortnite. Um, and, you know, the whole structure of the company kind of turned in service of that particular game. But, um, you know, the company is, uh, I would best describe it as internally competitive, like a lot of visual effects, you know, style type companies are. So there's a lot of, of uh, really super strong professionals that come in to work for a company like this. So, um, it can be a little bit intimidating at times, you know, because there's some incredibly uh, talented people that work at this company and they're so brilliant, so smart, um, you know, with their skills. But, um, you know, the company is organizationally very approachable. Um, all of its management, you know, prides itself in saying, hey, if you want to, you know, talk to your, you know, next line uh, upper level supervisors and such, they have a, you know, a nice open door for people to be able to talk, um, you know, to anybody really in management. They're very friendly that way. They're very diverse. 
um, you know, um, good ratio of men and women that work for the company. They're very, I find them to be a very progressive company. The, you know, the boss is also very altruistic, you know, works and gives to various charities and, you know, it's just, I, I like it. It's, it's a, it's a really solid, um, pleasure to work there. But it comes across in outwardly, I think as well, and being a training partner with Epic is equally a very lovely experience. It, it seems you know, very supportive of what we're doing. And yeah, I, I can only imagine um, having a glimpse at that, what it's like working there. So very cool. Yeah, um, I, you know, just the whole situation with the whole COVID situation, when that happened, you know, Epic was very fast to respond and allowed us employees to work from home very easily, you know, and it was through that whole situation that the fellowship was, you know, birthed out of, it was like at first of uh, a means to help counter people who were furloughed and, you know, lost their jobs due to the pandemic. So Epic saw it as an opportunity. Hey, let's reskill and train people during this time. And I think it worked out pretty well for a lot of people. Yeah, it certainly seems to have done for sure. It, um, yeah, can you tell us uh, any more about how it kind of began? Um, was so it was a, a direct result of the following and, and people going home at the beginning of the pandemic? Well, you know, the so idea, kind of yeah, upper management was like, hey, this is a great opportunity. People are, are now at home. They're going to be looking for something to do. Why don't we, um, why don't we help? train people and let's reskill people. So the idea was let's create a program that can be entirely virtually delivered. Um, and the challenge of course was how do you make it, you know, exciting and fun and, you know, drive a community and, and that kind of thing. Um, and so we did a pilot program with 15 people, um, and about another 10 people who were like auditing the, you know, everything. And we were in constant, you know, engagement with these folks, helping them, uh, and helping, having them help us develop the program as well. So everybody who was a part of the original pilot was really instrumental in helping us make the program better. Um, but, um, after the pilot, we immediately jumped from doing 15 to, you know, 25 people to upper management saying, okay, um, you need to up this up more people. And, I, and we first said, okay, we'll do 50. And they're like, no, 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 you need to do at least a hundred at, at a time. And that scared us. We were really concerned about being able to do a hundred people because wrangling a hundred people virtually and having them stay interested and excited about the program was like a little bit uh, alarming. It's like, how are we going to do this? And so we just continued to develop uh, you know, the program with, you know, increase the number of classes, you know, we had lots of guest speakers that came into the mix. Um, you know, we would have, you know, past graduates come and talk. You know, we would do what we call face sessions, which were, you know, bringing employers in to allow them to speak to the, to the alumni and to students who are currently in a fellowship about different job opportunities and openings within their company. And, you know, all of this um, was all glued together with Slack and, you know, a, uh, uh, a communications platform that to this day is still humming along, you know, people are in it and uh, all the graduates have access to one another in a unified Slack, uh, uh, Slack workspace. So, you know, there's now, you know, job channels in there and there's 
uh, topic specific channels. You know, if you have questions, you know, past instructors, current instructors, TAs, and 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 alumni pretty much all help one another answer questions about you know various things and issues and problems they might be having. So uh, it's still still humming along pretty well. It's kind of taken on on a life of its own. Yep. Yeah, we had to kind of take a, you know, a small break at the end of last year. You know, we had completed six cohorts, trained about 500 people or so. And, you know, there was, um, you know, uh, a little bit of a mindset from the company. Okay, we know that eventually the pandemic will be over. Um, and here we are still at two plus years. <laughs> We're waiting for this to finally finish. Um, yeah. But they're like, okay. You know, we're going to have to, you know, start sunsetting a few things. Um, you know, the, you know, the first six cohorts, we, you know, provided a stipend uh, for folks to allow them to be actually paid while going through the fellowship, which, again, was super beneficial for people who weren't, you know, with a job. But, yeah. uh, you know, that particular incentive at this time, like I said, has been discontinued. Um, that doesn't mean that it might you know, some form of financial existence might not, you know, come back into existence again in the future, but it might be in a different form or a different way. Uh, but for right now, the program is is no longer uh, stipend. Um, so it is uh, more, um, uh, well, we did some surveys and actually a lot of uh, fellows who graduated said that the stipend was obviously super helpful for them, but it wasn't the driving factor for them. You know, for them, it was learning Unreal, getting familiar with the program. You know, a lot of people were generating all these short films. They wanted to take part of that and create something cool themselves. And for them, it was the experience, uh, you know, going through the program. And you know, from what yeah. I hear, a lot of people are, you know, using all that to their advantage. You know, they've got, you know, people have gotten jobs. There's folks that have done um, a number of short films. We've had some some short films win awards um, that have come out of, you know, doing the program. So I'm really super proud of, you know, what a lot of the alumni have been able to accomplish. And I only expect more, you know, great things from them. Right. Yeah. Well, it's a testament to, to what you've built. I think the quality of the education and the program and, and the software as well, being able to bring people in who've got no experience in something and being able to get them going that far in what they were five six weeks right yeah the program is technically five weeks of instruction but then there's also an orientation week so it takes up six weeks of time um you know we experimented with that amount of time a little bit we did one cohort that was at four weeks um, and we did another cohort that was at six weeks plus you know orientation and such so we settled on five weeks as the core, it basically delivers about 200 hours of content, um, you know, between lectures and guest speakers and, you know, events and so forth. It delivers about 200 hours worth of exposure time to Unreal, to the community and, you know, um, various industry professionals and such. So that's an, an impressive amount of stuff to go through and, and yeah, watching a lot of the films come out of it myself i was definitely impressed by what people are obviously people are bringing in their creative skill and their, their talent to it but yeah it's a 
it's really i think it's amazing i've never seen personally a uh, piece of software be able to be learned that fast as well i think that's one thing that's kind of fascinating to me well i'm sure you know if you talk to some of the graduates you know they uh the alumni a lot of them will say that they were um you know under the gun trying to get everything <laughs> done and you know they were under a lot of pressure and i yeah. you know i'm not gonna lie they were uh, <laughs> yeah uh but it, it was kind of that whole you know it was kind of a whole band of brothers moment a lot of camaraderie of you know everybody going through this program together you know 100 people strong to graduate and finish and create a short film and you know it, it's it, the whole community and the, the students pulled together and helped themselves across the finish line in addition to of course our mentors and tas and instructors being you know available to answer their questions and and, and so forth and i just i'm stunned to this day uh by some of the short films that have come out of this program just like super impressed um full-fledged short films in their own in their own right looking beautiful and awesome and every every cohort tries to outdo the last <laughs> right yeah, it's not such a bad thing always have a little bit of healthy competition a bit of a deadline sure sharpens you up definitely yeah, it, i think it's, it's a great way of getting something done you know i think it, when you have too much time sometimes you don't finish the thing you're doing if if you have an unending amount of time so having be that short i'm sure it's a little painful sometimes for some people but um but it, it definitely accomplished creating something beautiful and uh yeah really really excited to see what people have done with it afterwards as well and i know that a lot of people have as you said have gone on got jobs changed careers yep. and used it to help their processes yes definitely and we want to help more people um there are um you know the intention let me put it into perspective. When we opened up the program and we, we did a global application, we had over 6,000 people apply and we only had the app application open for like four days. And, mm -hmm. you know, so we had to close things down application wise. And I know that there were a lot of people who were struggling with this because how do I apply and how do I get in? And, and, you know, um, this, is, this seems really difficult and, and, and complicated. And it, I was, I, I felt a lot of empathy towards these people because I wanted them to get, you know, into the program and try. But A, we had, of course, limited slots available. And, you know, we were deluged with the number of applicants. So we wound up, you know, pulling from that global applicant pool for, you know, creating these six cohorts that we did. Um, you know, so it, I just want to say out there, to everybody who tried to apply my apologies you know that if it was difficult or challenging um you know so we're trying to address that you know moving forward and you know we still plan to be offering more fellowships in 2022 um but my bosses have of course asked me let's scale this program how can we scale this program and this has been a challenge for myself to to work through and figure out with my boss, uh, Julie Lottering, she's been amazing you know, with some of the concepts and ideas that she's come up with uh, for helping us scale this program. And a lot of it, I can't go into 
too much details yet, you know, because we're not announcing the full program until April, but we're doing a lot of work with partners, training partner facilities that we're building relationships with and that, you know, the intention is to help disseminate the fellowship as a, a bundled curriculum to other facilities uh, around the globe. Uh, and so that other places can offer fellowships uh, of, or, or a type of fellowship experience um, that can either you know, directly follow what we're building um, or modify our curriculum uh, to something a little more attuned to what they, um, you know, how their school operates. So there's going to be more on this uh, coming up in the future, but this is going to be a way for us to address and route more people into this style of training and teaching and programs. So um, stay tuned for more of this. A lot of these uh, issues will be addressed. Um, and uh, I think that that will be um, greatly appreciated, I hope. I'm sure it will be. Um, I'm, uh, for one of a better way of saying it, I'm very excited about that, obviously. Sure, <laughs> yes. I'm looking forward to to seeing what that uh, turns into, and, and we'll certainly share far and wide when, when we're able to as well. Right. Um, yeah, very, very exciting time. And, and it's, yeah, thanks for sharing what you can with that. I know that uh, it's, a lot of it's in development, but I appreciate you um, sharing with our listeners because I'm sure that a lot of people are very curious out there and um, the people are very excited by real time and by what it's capable of. And, and Epic is a, a real industry leader in, in that respect and, and you guys educationally as well. I mean, we've certainly learned a lot and been inspired a lot by what you've done. Um, uh, so, I, yeah, it's a it's a really, really exciting time. Um, um, yeah, what uh, what are your um, thoughts anyway at the moment in terms of uh, real time and, and how it's influenced filmmaking? Because you've been around this stuff a lot for quite a long time. Sure. Obviously through previs, which is where a lot of this was initially used a lot. And I, I was too in going through Jungle Book and Lion King and things like that. You start yeah. to use game engines more seriously. Um, how how you you've been in previous for even longer than that and um you must have seen a, a huge impact in the world of filmmaking oh yeah i mean uh when we tried to get previous you know as a you know off the ground you know there were a number of companies uh the early pioneers you know you had pixel liberation front you had proof and halon and third floor and persistence of vision and you know it was our goal to kind of make previs a you know a household word, um, you know, it, for the filmmaking process, and uh, you know previs was met with a lot of resistance when it first was brought out. It was seen as invasive. It was seen as you're taking our jobs. It was seen as, you know, you guys aren't professional enough, you know, uh, to understand all the nuances of of camera and cinematography and all kinds of things. And there was it was right, you know, it was a rightful complaint and issue and concern that, you know, all these other professionals had about what is previous going to do to the whole process. Um, but I think we've won them over at least, you know, previous now today is kind of like, 
and expect it's a thing. It's a thing. You know, you've got to you got to do previs. Um, you know, producers love it. Um, you know, visual effects supervisors and directors have used it and everything else. But previs reaches a certain barrier at a certain point where uh, even though it was on the cutting edge, um, it still relied on using traditional DCC packages. Um, it still had a rendering, you know, play blasting aspect to it. Still took a little bit of time to make changes and alterations. Nothing was in real time and everything was edited, you know, within editorial. And, um, you know, so that, you know, the previous process works, but it can still, you know, take a little time. So now with the advent of real time, um, you know, people are coming to the light a little faster, so to speak, where they're like, they're realizing, oh, hey, um, you know, I can see and make all these changes and make all these iterations uh, in real time and see it at the moment or on the day right now. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're doing something like first unit previs where you've got a director and a camera and, you know, inside of a tracking volume and perhaps somebody even in a mocap suit, you know, you can block out uh, and, and, and prep and, and, and think out shots, you know, interactively with a director and cameraman and cinematographer um, and mocap actor present. Um, and then it can all be stitched together um, into a sequence inside of Sequencer. And, you know, the end result by the end of the day can be a full-fledged cut, you know, a full sequence, um, you know, blocking out a lot of actions and movement that, you know, a traditional keyframed-based previs artist would potentially take, you know, several days or even weeks to complete. Um, so big improvement there. And, you know, when you add in the aspect of starting to introduce, you know, an LED volume uh, into this, there's obviously, um, you know, more overhead to consider, but uh, you could still, you know, theoretically use that similar process to consider and conceptualize what shots are going to look at and, you know, you're creating all of your assets um, that can be universal across the whole pipeline. You know, back in the day, you create previous assets, they're low resolution, they're chunky, nobody's going to use these in final visual effects. And it's not based off of truth, meaning, you know, we might not have the actual stage when we're doing previous or, you know, the set or, you know, the location is not perfect. You know, maybe if you're lucky, you might get some camera data out of previs, but ultimately, what did visual effects supervisors do? They look at the previs, they see the sequence, they give a thumbs up, wow, that's awesome, and then they just proceed to crumple, 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 toss over yeah. the shoulder, let's start over. So, um, you know, the thought with the game engine is, hey, let's start building assets up front in pre-production that, that are vetted and approved by the production designer and the visual effects department, and you put the emphasis in pre-production rather than in post-production. And, you know, you go on to the set during production armed, ready, and you have a series of assets, you know, that follow you through the entire pipeline. That's not something that we had in the, you know, the previous workflow. It's changed. And you know, this is a huge benefit, but it requires a shift in mindset. It requires a shift in mindset from the producer who's been classically trained to save your money to post and fix it in post. And so we're having to retrain these producers to think, hey, 
take some preliminary earlier steps to do this in pre-production and shift the emphasis you know, uh, from post into pre-production and production rather than production and fixing it in post. Because if you do that, if you do that in post, you have the potential of what I call uh, bifurcating the creative process. You've got something that's all being done in principal photography, and then you've got this black box called you know computer animation and CG that you know in the early days could take weeks and months to get a result, you know to see a sequence realized. Thankfully today it's faster, but still you know you have a whole separate pipeline, you know, uh, creating something that the director has to non-interactively work with and it can be slow you can see you know divisions it's, of direction it's frustrating as well yeah yeah, yeah you people. know it you know it yeah yeah people you know in, even in the previous days it was sort of like doing post where they would have to stand over the shoulder of someone and tell them no like that no not like that and then or maybe they would communicate it through notes and then have to wait for rounds of that to come back and be misinterpreted and now, yeah, now, like you say, we're in this state where, where they can, you can all do it in the same room at the same time and iterate really quickly. And yeah, the, there's still challenges always, right. but it, yeah, but a lot less frustration, at least in some ways, because now the, the filmmakers can actually be more hands-on. They can actually, in, in sometimes, literally be hands-on with moving things around and put doing it the way that they want to do it instead of asking somebody else to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and again, this, this, like I said, it really requires a shift in mindset. The people who actually get it are, uh, the animation studios. Um, and it's funny as, you know, they don't need an led wall, but they understand the process and the value of having, you know, a full fledged story department where things are prepped and constructed, uh, much earlier in the process before it gets into the production workflow, um, of, of the animation studio. So they're quite cognizant of the idea of prepping everything and preparing everything and having, you know, story fleshed out in live action production, the schedules are much tighter and shorter. And if you have any story development, it will come for you either with your storyboard artists, um, and or your previous team, but that's usually you know limited, um, and uh, it, it's not always enough, you know, to figure out these problems. And then the next thing you know, you're in post, and you're like, "Gosh, I wish we would have thought of this, you know, earlier before we shot all this." And now we have to do reshoots, and we have to fix everything with CGI, and it it grows to be a pain, <laughs> right? It's interesting you mentioned um, educating producers. I wonder if you could um, give us your thoughts on on how to effectively do that. Um, it's kind of helping helping filmmakers, but also production professionals understand this world more. Sure. Well, you know, virtual virtual production is a big definition. It's a big space, yeah. um, and we like to look at. Virtual production is kind of a spectrum of technologies. You know, there's a an aspect to it which is um, virtual or visualization technologies, which you have you know previs and uh, location scouting and you know being able to visualize content before actually going into production. So, all these techniques and processes uh, for visualization is part of virtual production. 
Um, you know, another uh, part of virtual production is just the whole performance capture aspect of things. So mocap and tracking data and all that kind of thing can be considered another part of the virtual production spectrum. Um, and then we have got classic, uh, uh, you know, techniques. Uh, you know, your your more traditional, uh, you know, green screen, you know, tracking markers, uh, camera uh, reverse uh, camera tracking, you know, post via post process and compositing everything in Nuke, that's kind of like a classical form of virtual production, uh, you know, hybridizing animation and adding it in and tracking it into shot plates. But then ultimately, you know, the the, the crown achievement uh, for virtual production is moving it onto, um, you know, a stage where you have an LED volume that's kind of creating an, an, an amalgamation of all these processes but they're doing it in real time on the stage. So you can shoot you know, your foreground, midground, and background uh, um, actors and, and sets um, all in camera. You know? And so we dub the separate, second term of in-camera visual effects or ICVFX as a subset of virtual production. And this is what's the current hot topic right now, the whole hey let's get a volume and let's you know track the camera and you know use real-time graphics to create uh, a complete background where the camera is tracked and you've got full access to full parallax you know from the camera viewpoint and you know we didn't have that in the olden days of rear screen projection or front screen projection or these other type of techniques so this is this is where we're at you know and it can be used for live action. It can be used for animation projects, or it can be used for, you know, um, um, you know, CG live action hybrids. And some people are even using it for stop motion. Right. Yeah. yeah. You can even have a TV screen in miniatures and sure do it do it at home. Yeah, you'd be surprised. A lot of people have been experimenting with that. It's fun to watch on some of the you know the forums and boards on Facebook and such you'll see, you know, people taking toy models, you know, and uh, putting them against their 4K TV and, you know, creating these great worlds. And then they're, they're basically tracking the camera via a Vive setup. And, you know, they can create really nice looking, um, you know, micro volumes, which uh, is fun, you know, to really see what they're doing with this. And it's, it's, a, it's a good uh, example of ingenuity. It's yeah, it's really cool. It's really it feels a bit to me though that I wasn't really active at, at the time. At the, I guess at the beginning of Spielberg's career, or whatever, when you know he was, those guys were doing the same type of thing, starting some of these franchises like Star Wars, you know, and, and inventing the processes and there's tons of innovation and nobody really knew what they were doing and it was really fun and it was all being done in people's garages and it kind of feels like we're back there again we are you know i mean as they say there's nothing new under the sun per se but yeah. you know doing icvfx is is um really going back to this to the days of rear projection dynamation and and uh you know um uh you know regular uh you know classic technologies like that but now there's a modern twist to it all and it's all being you know done with 
motion capture tracking of the camera, um, you know, uh, real-time uh, virtual backgrounds being generated in Unreal, and it's uh, um, it's truly a, a an evolutionary process that's becoming revolutionary in how people are approaching filmmaking. Right. And from from bottom to top, from people with big budgets, the Mandalorian type of thing, but also all the way down to individuals. And it, I think it's it's exciting for me to see what people are going to come up with, and maybe the next big thing's going to come from uh, you know a kid with no money, oh, as yeah. opposed to a big studio with tons of money. Sure, I mean all of that is inevitable with the, just the the general democratization of technology as. You know, as things become less expensive and they become more commonplace and it gets into the hands of more people, um, you'll see basically kind of a an interesting curve of, you know, quality happen. Obviously, when things get democrat, uh, democratized to the point of affordability, you will see an increase of, let's say, not so great looking stuff <laughs> until yeah. the, the, the real pros um, who may not have been able to afford it in the past can now afford it. And then, you know, it really starts to draw out, you know, the cream from the crop. And, you know, we start seeing these breakthrough cases, you know, people that produce these amazing movies. And it's like, oh, my God, you do this in your garage. And it's like, bravo, you know, let's see more of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's really become possible with kind of the help of people like Epic Games making this incredible tool and making it available to everyone. I think everyone's still kind of in shock that it's, I mean, it's not just that it's free to use. It is also, it is an incredible tool. I think that, you know, I'm sure people would be probably happy to pay for as well, but it's amazing that it, it is free. It's allowing all, all of the, the next generation to try it experiment with it learn it oh for sure skills yeah i mean we're to this day still constantly you know getting calls of hey i'm using unreal engine it might be some you know company that we've never heard for or heard of before in the past and they're like we're using it to do such and such and so and so and it's like oh wow you know and this is you know part of the advantage of allowing your tool set to be free you know send it out there um, people will latch onto it, use it, and if it's a good tool, it will grow. And um, and that's certainly what's happened. It's it's amazing that it has a home um, at Epic. I think taking such good care of it and being part of some projects that had to build all these tools from scratch. And at the end of the project, the tool set would go away. It's so nice to now see it compa compound. You know, and all of that effort gets to evolve and continue to grow um we've got a nice you know we've got something motivating us too you know obviously we're using our own software to make our own games so right. you know, all that creative energy and the you know the the profits that can come out of that game can also be put back into the engine to help it you know grow and advance and become even more powerful right yeah it's the equivalent of a uh, pixar of today in a way having developing render man and also making their own films you guys sure. are doing the same thing um a couple of questions that have come in um uh one from uh, coiner i'm not sure if i'm saying that properly but uh, uh 
um, asking to uh, if you could speak about the growth and need for Unreal visualization artists for um, and film and enterprise. So maybe you know, we can take from that that we've talked a bit about film already, the, the enterprise side of it, though know, there's a lot of additional work going on in other industries. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, uh, Epic and uh, like I said, when I first came to Epic, I was a technical account manager. Basically, that's a person that helps advocate for the client to the dev team. And we had a number of market verticals that, you know, uh, we addressed. Um, you know, media and entertainment is the one we're most familiar with and working within, and it's very common. But, you know, there are other market verticals too that, uh, you know, have shown tremendous promise and growth using Unreal and real-time technology, you know, automotive industries, you know, manufacturing and simulation, avionics, um, you know, there's, there's the list goes on. Uh, and we have technical account managers that are working with, you know, these industries to help, you know, the, uh, find companies within these verticals to help them use the engine. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of things in advertising. We're seeing a lot of things, uh, of, of using the engine for anything that, you know, has a lot of, you know, need for iterative work and, you know, obviously being able to see this all, uh, in, in real time is you know, a big boon. So the growth is tremendous. Um, there's, if, if you were at this stage of your career where you were asking yourself, what should I get into and which way should I go? I think that the handwriting's on the wall, you know, um, yeah. you, you need to be getting into real time. You must learn, uh, you know, game engine technology, preferably unreal. Um, <laughs> but, uh, this is really, really, you know, going to be the breaking point, um, you know, in another three to five years. Um, um, I don't wish, uh, any, any, anything bad on our competitors and, you know, the traditional, you know, DCC applications, they have their place, um, and they have their, you know, their capabilities and specializations for them. And, you know, um, but, will they be influencing the industry at least in media entertainment you know three to five years from now i you know would argue maybe not as much as they used to um and that you know tools like unreal are going to be uh where the jobs are going to be at um and of course this is all my opinion now just keep this in mind <laughs> but you know this is uh where i think where most of the jobs are going to be found in media entertainment industries um, you know, things are becoming interactive. They're becoming, um, you know, games and you've heard the whole thing, games and film merging. Yeah, it's happening, yeah. you know? So, um, if you're looking, you know, to direct your career path, um, learn unreal, learn game engine technology. It's just, you need to, if you want to be still employed, you know, in the future. There you have it. Um, <laughs> I think that's a very, very good answer. The growth and need for Unreal Visualization artists, from my perspective, is also large and the supply of them is not large yet. So right. I think now is a really, really good time to get into it as well, <clears throat> given that kind of window, which will start to close a bit. It's not really going to close, but yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, and across the board from 
film and in so many other industries too, which I, I is really interesting to me, having also weaved in and out of film and tech throughout a couple of different careers already. But now just seeing all so many people are interested in computer graphics. That's what I think at the moment. It's just or what was what felt like a tiny little niche community for quite a long time is now every, suddenly everyone's interested. Yeah, we're having a micro renaissance, so to speak. Uh, you know, it is very familiar feeling. You know, I I went through the first CG gold rush back in the late '80s and early '90s, and it it does feel like that uh, again. There's a lot of excitement and interest of people. You know seeing new avenues and ways to approach things with this kind of technology. And, you know, that's also, you know, due to obviously a lot of hardware vendors coming out with graphics cards that can push all these pixels and, and, you know, render things in real time, like, and have included ray tracing, you know, so um, obviously it's a, it's a, a group effort, so to speak, to make this happen. But, um, it's even more exciting, of course, when you have a great creative platform that uh, is exciting and easy to use and friendly and, you know, there's a great community behind it and everything else. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another question that came in was, um, we'd love to know what Brian thinks a visual uh, Unreal Engine supervisor or Unreal Engine producer role would look like in the near future as Unreal 5 comes out? Mm -hmm. um, well, there's a lot of roles uh, that are being developed around you know, the whole ICVFX space. One, of course, is what you listed. We kind of call them uh, virtual production supervisors and you know, or virtual production artists who are working for the virtual production supervisor. And, you know, this virtual production supervisor will, you know, typically work hand in hand with the visual effects supervisor, um, so that uh, you know the virtual production supervisor has his team of experts that help with the whole process of of um, uh, making the uh, uh, the LED volume work and function and so forth. And uh, yeah, he's going to be interfacing a lot with. Um, uh, what we call the VAD, um, the virtual art department, which is an extension of the normal art department, but they, they basically concentrate on, uh, translating and ingesting, um, you know, content from more traditional, uh, concept designers and art directors working in CAD packages and so forth. The virtual art department will, you know, absorb, uh, ingest and, and, modify these assets to work in real time and work within the engine and prep them and you know write shaders for everything make it all look beautiful so the vad is a you know a, a very very uh uh strategic and influential place uh to work but the virtual production supervisor works with them um uh he works with uh other principal creatives like you know the cinematographer um and you know the whole solution for lighting there's other roles that have to be considered, you know, color science is a big thing now, um, you know, cause you've got to have accurate color science to make sure that your wall is, you know, uh, outputting um, a, a specific color solution that will match with your end product and what you're, you know, planning to finally deliver. 
Um, so, uh, you know, if you want to be like a virtual production colorist, um, that's going to become a thing. Um, you know, so if you've got a big desire to be, you know, you, you know, be a color scientist, you, you your day is coming. Um, and there's other roles, you know, obviously, you know, people who are, you know, developers, um, gosh, you know, on an LED volume, you've got for the first time as part of the production team, you've got, you know, programmers and developers and, you know, engineers who are part of the production team now, which is not something that we normally found in the past because, you know, isn't it nice to have a program that has basically open source code? And if you need to make changes or modifications to things, you know, if you have these people on your staff, you can do it. Um, and yeah. uh, gosh, there's, you know, more roles. There's a few more, obviously, uh, we could go through, but, you know, the virtual production supervisor um, will then, of course, uh, you know, be working with, uh, you know, probably the visual effects producer and you know there might be you know there's obviously a need potentially for uh a producer for virtual production and you know a virtual production stage manager there's all kinds of roles that we could discuss and talk about but um there's all kinds of opportunities there fantastic i that sounds very encouraging to a lot of people out there either looking to change career or start mm. their career it's good good time yep um something another question i will take one more from the gallery and then i have another question for you um is uh do you know if epic is doing more things to help with green screen work in inside the engine yes um well i mean right now in the engine as it stands um you know you can change the rendering of the inner frustrum of the camera to not only you know it can display obviously 3d content with full parallax you know that you're shooting against but you can also flip a switch and change that background to you know a green screen effectively uh, for your wall complete with tracking markers or not if you want them so that you could shoot your foreground subject matter against green um you know there is uh, technologies that are being developed uh, to shoot at higher frame rates, um, you know, and having LED panels that refresh at a higher refresh rate so that you can effectively um, and selectively have the camera uh, parse up the number of frames per second um, to record uh, at certain intervals. So you could have multiple images being shown on the LED wall, but the camera only being sensitive to a certain frequency or a certain frame rate would only pick up certain images. So you could effectively shoot simultaneously a full, you know, beauty shot with complete with a background plate, everything fused together, but then also simultaneously shoot a matte pass that you can then use as you know to do an extraction later and make changes and modifications um there's all kinds of uh you know cool technologies that are uh being looked at so yeah um multi-frustrum multi-camera and you know selective frame rates ghost framing all that kind of thing is something that are being looked at lots of cool stuff mm -hmm. 
What, um, I'll take one more quick one. Um, somebody's asking about uh, screenwriting and how Unreal is affecting the world of screenwriting. Sure. Um, you know, some of you might have had some exposure or knowledge of what we did with Tribeca. Um, you know, we we basically, you know, had a dialogue with Tribeca. They were like, hey, we really would like to see how to use, you know, previs to help inform the script writing process, which is like, sure, this sounds like fun. It was basically in in you know an even more rudimentary form of you know pitch viz, essentially, uh, you know, to use a tool like Unreal to conceptually visualize um you know a portion of the script like you do in previs but you know have that process inform the writer because what we found in tribeca was you know a lot of the script writers have a mental image of what they're what they're trying to write about but sometimes they would need some help and so what we did is we paired up 10 filmmakers with 10 uh unreal engine TAs, technical artists, to help them basically visualize uh, what their script would look like. And in the process of, of doing this visualization, uh, light bulbs went on, you know, for the script writers. They're like, I never realized I wouldn't be able to see that from that angle. Or, you know, maybe if we, you know, place the camera over here, we can make this, you know, more exciting. And it, it, it allowed, uh, the filmmakers a, a chance um, to see something um, in a very early form um, and uh, it was very beneficial for them and so the whole we did this you know ramp up period of like three or four weeks of like giving them little bits of classes and talks and lectures and and then we sent a team to Tribeca for the festival in which they got to work with their filmmakers for uh, you know, three days, uh, four days directly, um, you know, to basically polish what they had been working on previously for the past three weeks. And, um, you know, it was very successful, very um, uh, enjoyable for the filmmaker. And then at the very end, of course, they had kind of like a little mini film festival and showed off their, you know, their, their scripts in progress. And, um, it's my understanding that you know some of these filmmakers are you know proceeding on and continuing their work and it's been very beneficial for them so yeah also definitely very helpful for people in, in the writing stage um that's that's also been been uh, my experience of working in virtual production and uh the the speed of iteration so fast that you can you can shift some of the creative that you previously would have had to lock in writing and previs mm. now shift that into the production phase right. which is really the exciting part yeah um, you, get, you get somebody with a you know a, a quick and simple you know solution you can do a lot yeah so i just want to ask you um a a question about uh another overused and often un undefined term which is uh, the metaverse something which you can i think dun, dun, dun. use a lot um and if you have any thoughts particularly on how the idea of the metaverse anyway um however you would like to define it, it starts to influence this subject you know the filmmaking process which is what we're really talking about here. well um you know 
I would love to be able to just defer this, you know, to my boss, Tim Sweeney, and, and basically <laughs> say, hey, Tim, how do you define the metaverse? Um, yeah, I've and, seen his definition of it. I quite like oh, what he has oh, to yeah. say about it. I, I guess for me, you know, the idea of the metaverse is, you know, just an attempt to, you know, uh, replicate real life in a, in a way uh, of having a platform that allows people to express themselves both, you know, creatively and have a venue, um, you know, not only the, the traditional things that you would see with, you know, typical business transactions and such, but you know, actually have, uh, you know, greater senses of community, a, a sense of presence um, is the big thing. You know, when we're online today um, and you're, you're doing something um, online with others, it's really hard to establish the sense of presence that there's somebody there with you. Um, and you can do that. Obviously, you can type to them and chat with them and and maybe you'll get a little bubble that'll pop up if you're you know doing and using avatars and that kind of thing but i think fortnite you know gave us a really good glimpse of what you know the metaverse can look like um it can be a fully developed world that you can go into um and participate in events and entertainment and you know transaction business transactions whatever it is that you want in a uh an environment that can be pretty much anything you want to define. Um, and um, you know that there are other people in there with you. Um, and it it's going to take, you know, obviously, you know, more time to develop all this. But, you know, we're seeing, you know, the rise of metahumans and, and, you know, being able to create avatars that are very realistic looking and they can look a lot like us, you know, if you give it a little bit of effort and, um, you know, between that and, uh, you know, the technologies that we have at home to, you know, log in to this type of environment, I don't see any reason why, especially, you know, if it's a full-on immersive uh, version of the metaverse where you're using something like, you know, a VR headset, um, or if it's, you know, not that extent and it's more of an augmented reality world, I, and that can still be defined. But uh, I think the main thing that sets the metaverse apart from what we have today is just a greater level and sense of presence and knowing that you're there with somebody else and that you have this power to really truly interact with somebody. Right. That sounds like a, a seems like a, a great idea to be able to create in that kind of world. And even though to some extent you can already using greater tools to actually do more together to be able to create things together that persist in that world and that maybe you can share outside that world as well in the real world it's mm -hmm. yeah good yeah. place to be able to to collaborate and make stuff oh sure and you know what's cool too about something like a tool like unreal and the advent of the metaverse is you know the ability to like in Unreal, you can have you know, a multi-user session where you're working with somebody uh, in the same creative session as you, but they're somewhere else on the planet. So you've got directors and you have you know, other creatives 
you could all be working in session together to build a, a much like you do on a regular stage today. You know, you've got somebody that's creating the set, you've got other people who are moving the lights, you've got other folks that are running the camera. And I think in a, you know, in a metaverse uh, scenario, um, you know, you, you'll be able to do that, you know, because you'll have that sense of presence more, you'll be able to see things develop, you know, right in front of you, and it'll be in real time. Um, and I think that that's uh, a, a huge benefit. And in some senses, it's, it's here already, as you can, oh, yeah. as you said, do a multi-user session, create across the planet in Unreal Engine, can make a movie in it. Basically, it's the, the, the avatar part of it maybe need a little work, but uh, certainly fe feeling like you're there and being able to collaborate together, it's a very rich tool set. And you can do the hard thing about it is, is it's still at this stage chaotic. Um, you know, uh, there's there has to be certain forms of restriction, you know, in these types of settings to be able to yeah. say, you know, you do this job, but only do this job. You know, you can't do these things. You, you know, so it, it's weird. Um, you don't want to restrict freedom so much that people lose interest. But at the same time, if you are working on something collaboratively together in session, multi, you know, user session of some sort, there has to be rules. Otherwise, it's just. Yeah it's a blur, you know, seeing things move if you don't have control over them. Yeah, it's like being in a band and getting everyone to write a song at the same time. It doesn't exactly. really work. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Cool. Well, uh, we've been an hour, so you know, I want to respect your time and, uh, and thank I've got you. got as much time as you want. Don't worry about it. But if we have to close, I understand that too. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> okay. having... Well, in that case, <clears throat> um, I do have another question if you want to take a crack at it. Um, uh, somebody's asking about uh, this is about Unreal 5. Um, uh, has there been some noticeable work done on the audio department as well? I don't know if this is something you know about particularly. Uh, my Achilles heel. Um, no, I don't, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, audio is not you know my area of expertise um so i can't really give you a lot of uh clues as to what's you know being new and developed for unreal engine 5 and audio i i have heard inklings and you know you've seen some of the preliminary such of improved capabilities but unfortunately i can't give you i can't just run down a list and say wow this is what you're yeah. gonna get because uh, unfortunately it's not something i normally work in no, no worries. Yeah, me too. I don't. Uh, yeah, I know. Anecdotally, a couple of things, meta sounds, and uh, yeah, not, not enough to talk to it, talk about it very uh, accurately. Um, maybe, maybe another thing I can ask you is, um, what what advice would you give to someone looking to get into all of this? I know that there is a, there's obviously the fellowship in its next incarnation. You have an amazing learning portal but what 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 would you say to somebody who's maybe both um people who are new to the industry wanted to get in or or also people looking to transition right um well uh, if you're reskilling uh just feel encouraged um i don't think the industry is leaving you behind if you are willing to you know take another step out um 
I think right now we're experiencing a complete you know, drought of talent. We're trying desperately to train as many people as possible. Um, so there's huge opportunities for you if you want to learn this technology and you're willing to, you know, put in the work to, you know, make that uh, switch. Um, I think you'll be greatly rewarded if you do. Um, uh, and, you know, for those who are new to the industry or wanting to break in, I guess what I would say is, uh, again, great time to do it. Um, it would be, I would, you know, make the recommendation to choose uh, an area of interest that excites you most. Um, you know, if you are interested in animation or if you are interested in performance capture or, you know, uh, you know some other aspect or avenue, um, there's nothing, there's still nothing wrong with specializing, you know, um, uh, because, you know, that's, that's, we're, that's still very evident today. So if you choose something that you want to get involved with, uh, find a good school, um, you know, take the classes, make the investment. Um, obviously, do it smart in the sense of, you know, I know a lot of people that will go to various, you know, schools and they spend a lot of money in order to go through a program and then they just don't use it um, or they, they let it sit, um, you know, my suggestion is, is, you know, find a good school, get into the program, start learning. Um, you know, if you can afford it, you know, get a decent workstation so that you can start to practice. Um, you know, that may be a tall order for some folks that are you know still on a budget, but I think, you know, if you look at a lot of the films that came out of the fellowship, I can assure you that there were a lot of people that had uh, some some pretty basic workstations. <laughs> you know, some people just doing a lot of their work on simple laptops. Um, it doesn't require uh, you know a five thousand dollar, ten thousand dollar workstation to to you know get into this. You can you can work and function within Unreal. Uh, and a decent graphics card and, and, you know, do it on a, say, you know, $1,500 to $2,500, you know, computer investment. Um, yeah, you won't have every bell and whistle, but you'll have enough to actually uh, get moving. And most above all, don't, don't, I mean, if you're wanting to be a creative, you know, you have different career paths that you can go down to, but if you want to be a creative and you're actually creating something like films or something like along that nature, don't get too wrapped up around the hardware so much that, oh, if I don't have the latest this or that, I can't make anything. That, that's ridiculous. You know, you can, you can make anything you want. Um, you just have to Detach yourself from your perfectionistic nature. I'm speaking for myself too, because I've I've struggled, like I've struggled with that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh gosh, I don't know if I can do this. Um, you know, stop that kind of thinking. You know, divorce yourself from it and say, look, I'm going to go out. I'm going to take what I have and I'm going to make something with it. You know, get out there, create, make art, get feedback, take that information and improve and iterate yourself um with your skills and get into community talk with people um uh make sure that you 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 have a network a social network of other professionals and friends that will encourage you you know um 
and and showcase your work um yeah i just want to share one you know we've had like i said we've had people who've come into the fellowship who've never touched unreal and they proceeded to create short films and some of them have gone on you know to actually win awards you know they've submitted their films into film festivals and they've won and it you know it sets them back completely it kind of throws them for a loop and a shock of like i can't believe that this has happened but why are you in such disbelief you know you actually took the steps you made the investment you committed yourself you produced something you've got the feedback and you know the universe is rewarding you so to speak um because of your efforts you won't get any of that if you just sit still you know so take a risk and do it simple uh, i couldn't have put it better myself that's great great advice thank you i know that a lot of people listening will be in that position of thinking probably feeling like i did at the beginning of my visual effects career like there's this giant mountain that you have to climb and it's really only special people that get to go up there and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff it's yeah no it, <laughs> it, it's it people who are willing to put in the effort you know yeah you know you may get lucky and you know bypass a few things if you've got the right connections sure but if you're not making the effort guess what you might get dis uh, discovered that you don't have it and you know mid-career you're you're at a point and stage of life where you're like i can't progress because i didn't do the foundational work in the beginning um and that can be dangerous too and the next thing you know you're yeah. like uh-oh <laughs> right and then you're finding yourself having to go through the process again and get reskilled so yeah it's like it doesn't stop right it doesn't you you don't get to just do that one course at the beginning of your career and then you're good you have to if you don't if you don't keep growing basically you you kind of get pushed out the way a little bit as the world evolves and if you don't then you find in my experience life comes at you with something that makes you grow and it's a lot less pleasant than if you choose to do it yourself sure absolutely yeah and it's also for me it's been the source of fun as well and i've had like the old plateau in the middle I've, I've found that often that's been because i haven't been pushing myself i haven't been growing i've kind of sat back a bit and not invested in my growth continually i think it's and re, re reigniting that which i'm i'm so grateful to the the this renaissance for as well because it really has just brought so much new energy into our industries mm -hmm. but it's made it it's made it all easier to do that Yep. because there's so much innovation going on there's so many new things to learn it's like it's hard not to at the moment right yeah completely agree awesome well thank you so much for uh, for joining us and, and for staying on it's been longer and answering questions thank you yeah i really appreciate it hey no problem um you know uh i'm on linkedin if folks want to chat you know i'm i try to keep up with you know messages that come in if something you know you're trying to get a hold of me on linkedin or you know uh social media facebook or something like that don't give up <laughs> i'll get to you eventually uh but i do like to discuss these things if you need you know some words of encouragement i'm happy to supply them you know i'll, I'll do what i can um to help amazing what a wonderful offer everybody out there you should uh hear that and take advantage of it not too much <laughs> but yeah thank you thank you brian You're really welcome. 
great pleasure talking to you. This is Likewise. fun. I could, I could keep doing this for, uh, for hours. Maybe we'll get to have you back on sometime. Anytime. Amazing. Well, and uh, thank you also to our listeners. Thanks for being here. And I've had a lot, a lot of people on here tonight. Um, thank you for joining us live. Uh, this will be up uh, as a recording very soon. And uh, yeah, thanks for asking great questions too. And yeah, keep one thing that uh, you can take away from this is that we're in an exciting time and there's a lot of opportunity and go out there and, and get it. Um, thank you for listening. We we are CG Pro. We are a school. We're an Unreal Authorized Training Center. If you're interested in any of the other things that we do, you can check us out at becomecgpro.com. We also have a free Facebook group that's Become CG Pro on Facebook. Um, and it, we have a YouTube channel. It's growing with a lot of free learning material on there as well. So yeah, uh, feel free to follow us and join us again in a couple of weeks. We'll have another episode uh, with Simon Chaderbur talking about photogrammetry and some some of the amazing innovation that he's been up to in that space. Um, thank you, everybody, and good night. <laughs>